right now called Good Trees, and we're, we're looking at what it means to be a good tree, and we've been in this series now. This is our eighth week, seventh or eighth week in this series, and so uh, we've kind of been in it for a while, so for, if you haven't been here, I want to kind of catch you up. We've been using this verse from Matthew chapter 12 as our motivation. Yeah, my wife just said, move on. I am. See, now you made me move back because you sent me that text to move on. And, you know. But uh, our motivation for, for being good trees comes from this verse, Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day. And he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. And then he kind of calls them out a little bit. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And so if we want to be good trees that produce good fruit, then we have to be good on the inside, and that's what motivates us and produces fruit, good fruit on the outside. And so what is it then that we are driving toward? What is that good fruit that we need to be working out producing in our lives? And that was what sent us over to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11, and that's where we'll spend the most of our time this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll be there. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, pull out your phone and open that up on the app. It'll also be on the screen for you this morning. And this is the passage now that we've been driving home every week for the last uh, six or seven weeks to really get the idea of what it means to be producing fruit that good trees produce. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. There's a lot in those two verses. If it feels overwhelming, don't worry, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But here's the list that we've been going off of. For this reason, the reason we just mentioned, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or moral excellence is a, a good way to think of that word, moral excellence. Supplement your moral excellence with knowledge. Supplement your knowledge with self-control. Supplement your self-control with steadfastness or perseverance. Supplement your steadfastness with godliness. Supplement your godliness with brotherly affection or brotherly love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And supplement your brotherly affection with love, agape love. We're going to talk a lot about those in the next couple of weeks. And he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this morning we're looking at the quality of godliness. Add to, supplement, make every effort to supplement your faith and your perseverance with godliness. So we're going to spend some time trying to understand 
what godliness is, what it means, and try to really get an understanding of it because I think there's some misconceptions there about it. But we're looking at godliness. But before we do that, um, I don't know if you have kids or you know someone who has had kids, but we have four kids, Hannah, Henry, Harry, and Harper. And uh, we, we started with Hannah with an H, and then we decided to go Henry because my dad's name was Henry. We wanted to name him after my dad. And so then we had the two H's, so we had to keep going with H so the two younger kids wouldn't feel left out. And so we went with Harrison and Harper. And uh, so we have four kids, but I remember very clearly what it was like when we had our first kid, Hannah. We spent a lot of time before Hannah came preparing for Hannah's arrival. And if, you've have, if, you, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? You spend a lot of time, you have, you have showers, right? You have a baby shower so that you get all the free stuff that you don't want to pay for yourself, right? And so you have this baby shower and you invite as many people as you can and you go register at Target and you register for all the things that you think you're going to use and you don't know yet that they're not really useful when you have kids. They just sell them to you because you don't, you know, they're kind of preying on you and your lack of knowledge about raising kids. So like one of the things we got was the diaper genie. It's a great idea. It's just really impractical. I'm not going to get into how the diaper genie works. If you don't know, you can go look it up online. It's just a little disgusting to talk about here. But it did work for a little while to keep the smell of diapers from you know, filling your house. And um, other, you know, lots of other products that you go register for, you don't really know if you need them or not, but you spend a lot of time preparing for all of those things. And, and then you, you get the nursery ready, right? You spend time getting the nursery ready, so you paint the nursery. If you found out what gender the baby is, then you paint the nursery, you know, whatever color you think they're, that they're going to like. So we had Hannah, so we kind of painted it pink. It was this kind of sandy pink color. It was really kind of cool. But uh, so we painted it, and then you get, you know, you spend time finding the crib and all of those things, and, and you get everything organized. And then you have the baby, and you realize very quickly that once you have the baby, all of the things that you've been preparing for aren't really useful yet, right? You don't need all of that stuff yet because, you know, you spend all this time and effort getting the nursery ready, but, you know, if in many cases, the baby sleeps in your room for the first month or two or three, depending on how well they sleep through the night, because it's easier when you're stumbling through the darkness to get up and go over to the baby that's two feet away than try to walk through the dark house and get to the baby while they're screaming and wake up everyone in the house. And so, so you don't really even need the nursery for the first couple of months. You just kind of need, you know, to have the baby. And the thing that you really should have been preparing for that you discover within the first, you know, two or three nights of having a baby is you should have been working on sleep deprivation, right? You should have been, you should have, we should have spent some time over the, you know, two or three weeks leading up to the pregnancy going with less and less sleep so that when baby arrived, we knew what it felt like to try to function in a full-time job with, you know, two or three hours of sleep the night before. And so we spent a lot of time preparing for all the things that weren't really urgent and not preparing for some of the most urgent things that happened. And I think that kind of summarizes a lot of the things that we go through in life. We, we we're heading into something we don't know. We're kind of heading into an unknown area, and we do our best to prepare. But when we get into that area, we get into that situation, we quickly realize that, that the thing that we were preparing for, all the stuff that we did to prepare, really didn't help us when it comes to working. The same might be said for a new job. You know, you spend time trying to prepare for a new job and you go to school to prepare for a new job and hopefully learn all the things you need for this job and then you get into the job and re quickly realize that they don't teach you most of the stuff you actually need to know to do the job, right? 
you know, they, you get into a career and there's a whole world that's outside of what they ever taught you in college to do this job. The same thing is true for even going to college. You go to college and you work to prepare, to be ready, to get to college and do all the things, and you quickly realize that college has very little like high school, and high school did not do a whole lot to prepare you for college. At least that was my high school experience. I, didn't, I never developed good high school study you know, homework ethic when I was in high school because I could just kind of show up and get done and get, the, get a good enough grade to pass and didn't really need to work at it, and I got to college, and I quickly realized that's not going to work here. I'm going to have to do my homework. I'm going to have to study for these tests, or I'm going to spend a lot, lot of time making up and taking classes over and over again. And a lot of people go to college for a long time. I don't know if I want to say how long I was in college. Did you say it? What? Eight? Seven? I was in college for seven years. Just for a bachelor's. Yeah. I don't think that's something we should be applauding. Yeah, I I finally finished. Well, there's there's a legitimate story behind it, but I won't get into it. I'll save that for later. But I went to college to to become a music pastor and study music. Yeah, someone said they're called doctors. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) The stupid baby wipe warmer, baby wipe burner thing. Yeah, that's something you don't need when you're preparing for a kid because it's going to burn your house down probably. I went to college and I was, you know, uh, I had to come figure out where I was. But I went to college because I was going to be a musician, right? I wanted to be a professional musician. And kind of when I entered the first year, I was going to be a performer. And so I was kind of going down the performance track. I decided I didn't want to do that because how many classical performers actually get paid to perform classical piano music. And so I changed and I decided, well, I'm going to become a church worship pastor, and that's what I did for the, for the most of my career. But even then, most of the music courses that I took prepared me to know music well, but they didn't prepare me to know music ministry very well. And I quickly learned that when I got into music ministry, there was a lot that I was going to have to learn when I got into it. I think a lot of times we spend time preparing for something, and we realize that we've been preparing for the wrong thing and going in the wrong direction, right? We, we spend a lot of time working on this. When we get into the situation, we realize I needed to be working on that. That'll make sense here in just a minute, but let's get into godliness. What is godliness? Add to your perseverance or your steadfastness godliness. Godliness has to do with reverence and respect towards God, Christ-likeness or holiness. A way to think of it might be becoming more like Christ and less like our sinful and fallen selves. If left to ourselves, our nature and our sin nature, this is who we normally are because this is how we were born into a fallen, broken world. And if we don't work at becoming less like that and more like Christ, then we're going to stick in these old habits and these old ways. So godliness is kind of this process of becoming more like godliness, godlikeness, godliness like God. It refers to a very practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. 
So if we're going to become godly, then we need to become aware that God is involved in all of our lives, and He's very intimately aware of everything that's going on. It refers to awe in the presence of God and the obedience that, bit, that, uh, that fits with that reverence. So we, we're in awe of God because God is so holy, God is so amazing, God is so majestic. There aren't, there aren't human words that do a good job of explaining just how magnificent our God is, and so we are in awe of this God who has done so much for us and loved us so much and cared for us so much, and then we are obedient in a reverent kind of a way to that God because of all that He has done. It's, it's an awe and a spirit of awe and humility that we come to God. This is what it means to be godliness, to be godly. It's the attitude which gives God the place He ought to occupy in life and in thought and in devotion. So it's an attitude where we're going to put God first in all of the areas of our life, and in our life, and our thoughts, and our devotion, and our actions, and our habits, and our patterns. Everything we're going to start to put God first. And like we've been doing throughout the course of the series, I want to go read another verse that uses the word so we can kind of get a good definition of it. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven. I think this should be up on the screen for you. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. This is, this is Paul talking to Timothy, so don't get mad at me. Um, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. I will not uh, preach a sermon on that passage anytime in the near future. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul is using the same word that Peter is using here in this passage that we're talking about, and he uses the illustration bodily discipline is of little profit. He doesn't say it's bad. He doesn't say we shouldn't do it. We should have bodily discipline. We should work out and exercise and treat our bodies well. That is important, but he says compared to godliness, it's not that important. It's not nearly as important as godliness because what you're working on in your physical body is only important for the here and now. Holiness, godliness is profitable for this life and the life to come. Godliness. So that's kind of the definition of what godliness is. It's, it's a practical awareness of God in every aspect of our lives, becoming more like Christ and less like our sinful selves. I'll get back to that in just a minute. But there's some other things we need to know and understand about godliness before we get too far down the road. The first is, godliness cannot be accomplished on our own. We cannot be truly godly in our own strength and our own abilities. See, just like all of the other qualities, godliness begins with faith. And if we don't start with faith in Jesus Christ to live a godly life, then we're going to quickly find that we're not able to live up to the standards that have been laid out for us in, in the Bible. And without faith in Jesus Christ, what we'll be doing is only some works-based religion trying to earn our salvation as opposed to experiencing the gift of salvation that has been given to us. It does say make every effort to supplement your faith with godliness, but it starts before that with the gift. God has given us, God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So it starts with the gift, and then after we have received the gift, we make every effort to live out 
and see that gift come and grow into fruition, into completion in our lives. But it starts with faith. We have to start with faith in Jesus Christ. And like we've said throughout this whole series, the question of Jesus is the one that you want to get right. Of all the questions in life, you want to make sure you get that question right. Your answer needs to be right about Jesus. And if we don't get that question right, then we're never going to be able to live this kind of godly life that Peter is speaking of. We'll only ever be disappointed by trying to work it out on our own and come up short all of the time. We can't be, even begin to grow in Christ until we've received this gift of new life. The seed has not yet been planted to us, in us and has not taken hold and taken root so they can grow and become in us if we have not answered that question right and put our faith in Christ. So apart from Christ, we're not going to even be able to try, let alone have the motivation to change and become godly. But we have to, on top of that, make sure that we have the right why. We have to have the right why in mind when we're pursuing godliness. What is the why that you're using? What is the why that's driving you to become a godly person? What's, what's driving your pursuit of this godliness that you're chasing? Are you trying to earn your salvation? Are you trying to earn your position with God? If so, that's the wrong why. You're going in the wrong direction. You need to stop and get off of that road. Maybe you're trying to be better than everyone else so that you can look down on people and judge them. That's also the wrong why. What is the why that you're using to move you towards godliness? Then if we don't have the right one, we need to change that. Well, what is the right why? What's the right why that we need to be chasing? And Peter actually tells us what the right why is. And let's get into that in verse 3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I just want to read it again, and we're going to break it down because of a certain phrase that comes in verse 5. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It starts with the gift. God's power has granted or given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So for those who are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're walking with Him in a relationship, you have been given or granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. We haven't read these verses yet, but I want to go back to verse 1 where Peter makes a statement who he's writing to. This is the audience that he's writing to when he says these things. He's writing to believers. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when he says, to those who have obtained a faith, he's talking to those who already believe. You have been given and received this gift. So you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Look at that word pertain for just a minute because it's kind of a fancy word. Pertains means with regard to or to the advantage of. So you have been given everything with regard to life and godliness or to the advantage of life and godliness through, and here's a very important word, let's stop and look at it too. Everything that God has given to us with regard to life and godliness comes through what he's about to say. 
So the promises that we've been granted, or the, the power we've been granted, and the gift in this life that we've been granted come through this. What is the this that this, this is going to be fulfilled through? The knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So what we've been given comes through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And you're going to see some of the same words as we experience throughout the list of qualities. Verse 4, and he says, now through this, you know, the knowledge of him who called us, by which, now we've got another basically through, by which, or through, or he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And we've talked about that briefly, but we haven't spent a a lot of time dealing with it. What are these promises that God has granted to us? Well, one of them I want to show you comes from John chapter 14, where Jesus is talking, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the one we call the Comforter, who is going to come, the Counselor, who is going to come and, and guide us in life. And Jesus is talking about that when he's talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, this is one of the promises that God has given us. God has promised the Holy Spirit. And so, when he's granted you this gift, he not only has granted you the gift of all of these qualities and is waiting for you to take it out, he's also given you the power source to be able to live those qualities out in your life. So this is why it's so important to start with faith in Jesus Christ. We start with faith in Christ, and when we put our faith in Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, you receive that gift. And as as you now walk with Christ, Christ is walking with you. Christ is counseling you. Christ is supporting you. The Spirit of Christ is helping you do these things. Now you have a helper, the Spirit of truth, who dwells with you and is now the promise has been fulfilled that Jesus made in you. This is the promise. And so when you're called to holiness, when you're called to godliness, the promise is even fulfilled in Christ. That's good news. You don't have to do it all on your own. You have help. Godliness is not a solo sport. It's not something that we do in our own strength and our own abilities. It's not something we can go accomplish on our own. It requires, it necessitates the power of Jesus Christ, alive and active and at work in our hearts and our bodies and our spirits to give us what we need, the strength we need to live the life we've been called to live. And if we've been trying to live the life that we've been called to live apart from the strength and the gift of the Spirit, then we're going to always be drained and empty and exhausted and tired and frustrated because we do not have what it takes to do it on our own. If we did have what it takes, Jesus would not have needed to come. We could have earned our way into Christ's kingdom through our own abilities, but we don't have what it takes. So Jesus came, and he gave it to us freely so that we could become partakers of the divine nature and cast off the corruption that was on us and in us because of the world that we were born into and raised in. One of the words commonly used for Holy Spirit in the Bible is counselor probably familiar with that from Christmas, wonderful counselor. But that word counselor carries with it some significant meaning. It means the one called alongside to help. 
the one called alongside to help. And it carries with it this idea of Greek soldiers being called into battle in pairs. And when the enemy would attack, the Greek soldiers would then put their backs together and fight back to back, covering each other's blind side. And that's the idea of the Holy Spirit being our counselors. He's covering our blind side. He's got our back. He's standing and supporting us and covering us in the areas that we cannot see. This is our counselor. This is the gift. This is the promise that has been fulfilled and given to us through Christ Jesus and the work he did on the cross. It's awesome. And he says, so that through these promises, and there are more promises than that that Jesus made, by the way. Just, that's just one of them. But through these promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And we've spent time talking about this a lot as a church, but it's always good to remember that, that because of what Adam and Eve did back in the Garden of Eden, because they disobeyed God, now a curse is on all of humanity and all of creation because they disobeyed God. And because of that now, we're fallen instead of chosen from birth, right? We're, we're fallen and broken. And so it takes a redeemer and it takes a redemption to come and redeem us out of this fallenness and this brokenness so that we can escape the corruption that is in the world. And until we escape that corruption through the work of Jesus Christ, we're constantly bound and trapped in the corruption, we're constantly going to be mistaken and twisted and taken advantage of and abused by the corruption that is in the world. And until we experience the truth of God and who God is and what he did for us on the cross, we're always going to be at the mercy of corruption. We're always going to be at the mercy of the fallen and broken world that we live in who has at its own heart and its own mind its selfish desires and its selfish ways to lead us towards itself and not towards Christ. It's not until we become partakers of the divine nature that we have the chance to experience these qualities in increasing measure in our life. That's our why. How is that our why? Because Peter says in verse 5, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he goes into the list. What is the reason? The reason is the promises and the God who has called us to his godliness and his glory and his excellence. And he's granted us all of these things, the gift that he's given. This is the reason. This is our why. This is what we're pursuing as followers and believers in Jesus Christ. Because God has done so much for us, we're joining with the Holy Spirit in the pursuit of becoming good trees that produce good fruit. See, when we're living in corrupt and fallen and broken ways, what we're doing is we're spending our lives trying to pursue something, preparing for something, and going in the wrong direction. What we really need is the gift that comes from God to go in the right direction to have the right life. We can spend our whole lives pursuing excellence and, and, uh, and all of these lists, this list of qualities that is here, perseverance and steadfastness and knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection and love, but if we're doing it out of our own pursuit and our own drive and our own desire, we're always going to be going after the wrong thing because we haven't started with the right understanding, the motivation that comes from the free gift that God gives us in Jesus Christ. So maybe you're tired. Maybe you're weary this morning. Maybe you're, you feel like you're just struggling under the weight of, I can't do this. I understand I'm supposed to be this kind of person. I understand I'm supposed to live up to this standard, but it's exhausting. 
It's draining. It's literally dripping the, the drive out of my soul and my spirit. And if that is you, you probably have the wrong why. And to be honest, all of us can get off track from time to time. In that we, we get off track in our why, and we're doing things for the wrong reason. We find ourselves now drained and tired and exhausted, and we're not doing things because of the promises and the gift that God has given us. We're doing it to try to prove or earn something, and we're never going to be satisfied when we're trying to prove and earn something of our own. Well, what does godliness require of us? Godliness requires some things. You don't actually have to look very far if you want to know what godliness requires. We don't start at godliness. We start with faith, and then we add to our faith. You can know where I'm going. We add to our faith virtue, and we add to our virtue knowledge, and we add to our knowledge self-control, and we add to our self-control steadfastness or perseverance, and then, then we add to our perseverance godliness. See, this whole thing is a pursuit where we're stacking on and building up on these qualities that God has given to us through His divine power, and we're supplementing all of them all along the way. And trying to run the race of godliness before we run the race of virtue and excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance is like trying to run a marathon when we're still training to get down the street without stopping and walking. So we're training for the wrong race. We're preparing for the wrong thing. We, we need to prepare for what God has given us to prepare, and we need to start with His training guide. And His training guide says, start here. Make every effort to start and supplement your faith. Begin with moral excellence and then add knowledge and then add self-control. Then add perseverance and then add godliness. These are the things that are required if we're going to live godly lives and it comes from the power of Christ in us. But it also requires a word that's kind of a dirty word now in our culture and our society. Diligence. Discipline. It requires us to make every effort. We have to make the effort to be godly. We don't just sit back and expect that God is going to put it on us and then it'll just be easy and we get to live it out like winning the holy lottery. We have to put in the effort and live disciplined, diligent, godly lives. See, like we said a while ago, we've been given the gift of godliness that's sitting right there in front of us, but we have to actually take it out of the box and start to put it to use. We have to be diligent. We have to make every effort. But it's important that we here at 6-8 Church get the why right. We need to be a church that's set apart in the why. We need to understand why we are pursuing godly lives, because Unfortunately, a lot of Christians have gotten the why wrong for a lot of years. Like I said, the why has been, look how godly I am. And walk around with, you know, pride and say, you cannot imagine living the kind of godly life that I lead. You should work a little harder to be like me. And we ask questions, well, why aren't you as godly as I am? We may not say that directly, but we make those kind of statements when we judge people when they're not living up to our standard that we've put on ourselves and that we're living up to. 
And in essence, what we're saying is, I'm better than you because I live a godlier life than you do. That's the wrong why. It's the wrong why. Our why should never be, look at me, look at me, look at how awesome I am. That's always the wrong why. If we're ever trying to draw attention to ourselves and look like we think we should look so that people look at us and say, oh, how awesome and godly and holy and majestic are you, then we've kind of missed the mark a little bit. The right why, actually, Peter gives to us in his first letter. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why are we all of these things? Why has God set us aside? Why has God made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And if we're always making the why about, hey, look at me, look how awesome I am, look how holy I am, and not making it about God and his marvelous light, we've really missed the mark, and we're not calling people out of anything. We're pushing them further into the darkness. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had no identity, but now your identity is God's chosen people. Isn't that awesome? Once you were no-named, you, you had no significance, you had no relevance whatsoever, you didn't have any reason to exist, you, but now you, you have God. Now you are God's chosen people. You are His royal priesthood. You are His holy nation. Your definition is in God and who God says you are, not in once what you had and what you thought before. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen to this because it gets really clear. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as travelers and exiles, those who are still on the outside of the kingdom and not yet on the inside of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom that we're waiting to enter. It says, I urge you as those who are still on your journey to the kingdom to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's pretty clear. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the why. That's the right why. That, that's the why that we're doing, because we want to proclaim the excellencies of God, like he says. We want to glorify God and be in awe of God and worship God and live lives and surrender to God because God is awesome and majestic and amazing. We want to be that kind of person, but then we also want to be the people who shine the light into the darkness so that others may see it. He says, your conduct among the Gentiles needs to be honorable. Are we supposed to hide from the Gentiles? That's just a way of saying those who, are, who do not yet believe. It's a little, more, a little more deep than that. But it says, are we supposed to kind of withdraw ourselves and get in a little holy huddle like we refer to it and, and just kind of get all with all the Christians and feel good about all the Christians we're with and, and keep our light, you know, shine our light when we're together and that's it? No, we're supposed to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That means we need to go out into the darkness and shine the light like we say so many times. And when you do that, they'll, if, even if they or when they speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your good deeds and be able to glorify God on the day of visitation. They'll see the life that you led. They'll see the qualities. They'll see the fruit and realize that you were of God and glorify God because of it. Shine the light into the darkness. 
So my challenge for myself, for us this morning is that working? Shine the light. Shine the light. Shine the light into the darkness so that those around you may see the light shining and be drawn to the light that shines through you. But we have to remember we live in we live in a corrupt and fallen and broken world, right? We we live in corruption. The call to godliness is not an easy one. It's not a simple one. It's not one that we're just going to be able to sit back and and mail in. It's one that's going to require effort on our part because we still, even though we have received, if we're in Christ, we've received this wonderful, amazing gift of a divine nature, a new nature, a new life in Christ. This is the gift we've received. We've received this new life in Christ. We've got a light shining, but we're still in the world, right? Reminded, we are reminded in Scripture to be in the world but not of the world. We, we're supposed to be in it, but we're still supposed to shine our lights. But what happens when we, when we kind of stop instead of trying to pursue the qualities that are listed here and then other places in Scripture? What happens when we, when we just kind of you know, decide, well, the corruption looks a little easier? Um, I know I'm supposed to be working hard to supplement my faith with moral excellence, but there's this one area that's a little hard. One area that, that I, can, I can do a lot of, but there's just, just one thing I'm not ready to do. And so we said, well, I'm, not gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave this one out. And so we start to hide our light a little bit. Don't worry, it's an LED light bulb. It's not going to catch on fire. <clears throat> Although that would be kind of awesome. <laughs> so we decide we're, we're, we're going to embrace some of our old nature. We just don't want to let this one thing go. Or, you know what, maybe we decide that when it comes to shining the light of Jesus Christ in front of those who don't yet believe, it's just it's too hard. It's going to cost too much of me. It's going to require too much from me. And if I come out and I shine my light of the good deeds for, for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be put down. I'm going to be little. So I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to embrace the corruption, but I'm just, I'm not going to do my good deeds and shine the light in front of Jesus, in front of these people that Jesus has given me to shine. And so we just kind of put another layer between the light that God has given to us and the world. And we'll find other things. We'll find other areas in our life that, that we don't want to follow what we've been given to follow. And we'll just kind of keep putting layers and layers over the light. Because it's hard to be in the world and shine the light. And the world is against us and as those who love Jesus Christ and the kingdom. And they're still into the whole corruption thing and the fallen nature and you know I just I don't want to do that it's just it's going to require too much of me and it's I just can't I can't do it and so we we keep making the light something that we're you know maybe even a little bit of ashamed of and I just I just don't want to shine the light I don't want to I'm thankful for grace I love the gift that I've been given but 
if God really knew what it was like to live in this world and to be in this world of, of people who don't believe, he wouldn't expect me to do this or to do that. He, he's just asking too much. And so I think I know a little bit better than God, and I'm, just, I'm not going to do what I've been given to do. And before long, our light's not really shining at all. So my challenge for me, my challenge for us this morning is what do we need to start peeling back? What do we need to let God do in us? Take off? Push back? So that we can once again shine the light the way he intended for us to shine. Because this was the plan all along. The plan wasn't, look at me and look how great I am and look how awesome I am at being holy. When we do that, we're, we're kind of hiding the light. We're drawing attention to ourselves as opposed to putting it where it deserves, with Christ. What layers this morning does God need to peel back from your life so that you can shine the light? There's always room for improvement. There's always something God can do. There's always some area that he can change in us. What is the area that God needs to change in your life and in my life this morning? And the question is, do we believe in the promises that he's given to us so that we're willing to actually take that step of faith and believe? You know what? It's hard for me to believe that I could actually be this kind of a person and live this kind of life, but you've said that I can, and so I'm, I'm going to start believing and walking in that way. So the band's going to come and we're going to stop and remember. The payment that was made so that we could have this life. And as they're coming, I want to pray for us. So would you stand together? And if you would, bow your head with me and close your eyes. I want to pray for a couple of groups of people this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for your promises. Your promises never change, just like you never change. What you said you will do, you will always do, because that is who you are, and you cannot be anything different. I thank you for those promises. I thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. I thank you that godliness is something that you've given to us and you want us to have and to be. But for those who are here this morning, Father, who have never put their faith in you and never taken that step to believe in you for the first time, I want to pray for them. And I pray this morning that your spirit would, would open their eyes and their mind and their heart and, and help them to be receptive to you, that you'd give them the boldness and the compassion and the strength to, to put their faith in you and take that step of following you this morning, walking now with this life, this journey that you've given them with you helping them and empowering them to do instead of walking alone on their own strength. 
Father, I pray that you would help them to see that all of their sins and all of their failures, all of their shortcomings need to be paid for with a price and that you came and you gave your life to, to pay that price. I pray, Father, that they would put their belief in you in such a way that they're willing now to reorient their lives around your ways and your word and your work and the things that you've called them to do and to step away from the corruption that is in this world and that you would give them the drive to be committed now from this point forward, being your followers, being one of your chosen people, part of your nation, bearing your name. Pray that you would give them that boldness to take that step. For those of us here this morning who are struggling because we just we don't feel like we can live a godly life, because we just we just don't have what it takes. Father, I pray that in this time that we have together this morning, that you would remind us that what it takes has been given to us, and all we need to do is open the gift that has been given to us freely. Father, I thank you for all of the tools, all of the things required of me that you've given to me, that you've laid out before me, and you're just waiting for me to pick them up and to start working on this life that you've laid out before me to become a tree that's producing good fruit. I thank you for the gifts that you've given, the nature that you've laid out before us. Father, help us to be a people that pursues it, that, that we make every effort, that we are diligent, disciplined people at becoming godly like you've called us to become, that, that we are in awe of what you've done and who you are and the, and the nature and character of the God that we serve. We're in awe of those things, and that awe drives us to want to live lives that, that honor and reflect and shine the light of that God into the darkness. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place in a few short moments, that our passion and our desire and our drive and our why for why we do these things would be driven and rooted and grounded in the power of the Spirit of God, alive and active and at work in each and every one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and that we would leave this place driven to shine the light, that we'd leave this place driven to, to pull off the layers that are, that are blocking our light from the world, and that we would shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ, that we would shine brightly the marvelous light that, that we have been gifted with, and we would shine brightly into the darkness so that the world may see and the world may come to know you through the light that we've shined. Father, let us be a people that live our lives in that manner by the power of the Spirit in us. And we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor, we'll give you the glory that is due your name because of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.